Good afternoon. My name is Lou Eisen, and this is Ring Talk on this uh, Sunday, July 31st. Uh, today, we're going to discuss the fight from February 6, 1967, at the Houston Astrodome between the greatest fighter, and in my opinion, the greatest person ever to have lived, Muhammad Ali, and the upstart challenger, Ernie Terrell. Terrell was three years younger than Ali, born in 1939 in Mississippi. You know, Terrell held the WBC title, the WBA title, excuse me, which was stripped from Ali because Ali had a rematch with Sonny Liston and the WBA said, we don't allow rematches. Of course, that was a complete farce. Both organizations then and now are run by mobsters, uh, criminals, and their title belts are really worthless because the people have always known who the best fighter in the world is in each weight division. Um, Ali, in order to get, when he was cast as Clay, a fight with Sonny Liston, this was commonplace for 100 years. You had to agree that, although the champion and his team thought there was no way that young Cassius Clay would win, you have to agree to give a rematch if you do win. And so he agreed. WBA said they weren't aware of that. That's a lie. Ed Lastman was there when the contract was signed. He always had special dispensations for rematches. And then they passed a law saying you can't, although they still allow it for some fighters, but for Ali, they didn't. WBA was a really racist, bigoted organization. Uh, if you read my book when it comes out about, about boxing's greatest controversies, one of the fights I cover is the second list in Ali fight. And, and I have transcripts of the meetings of the WBA. And in the meetings, they're saying, where does that N-word Ali and where does that N-word list and get off having a rematch and listens to the stupid, dirty N-word and so is Ali and... He doesn't have a right to change his religion, and they should both end up in the gutter or become criminals like all N-words. I mean, that that's these are actual lines from meeting from a tape of the WBA meeting and, and all these commissioners from the WBA that were taken from various state uh, uh, WBA commissions and provincial in Canada. So just a, a group. And these weren't boxing people. These are people that own hardware stores, delicatessens, grocery stores. They knew nothing about boxing. Old, smug, well-fed white people who were bigots and were upset that black people were getting ahead and that black people were champions in the sport they love. So you they, they withdraw the recognition of Ali. Makes no difference. Ali was the best fighter in the world. Everyone knew it. So they have a... a, a a fight between the top challengers, the WBA, Eddie Machen and um, Ernie Terrell. Terrell wins. Uh, Eddie Machen was a very good fighter, but he never had any confidence in himself. And when Angelo Dundee worked his corner in the 50s, Angelo would say to him, okay, go out this round and get rid of him. And he said, okay, Angelo, I'll try not to lose. I'll do my best. And Angelo said, what, how can you be a pro fighter if that kind of you know, that kind of attitude. So Machen, uh, when he fought uh, Terrell, lost. Terrell was controlled by the Chicago mob. He moved to Chicago when he was very young with his siblings and his family, and he got into boxing. And his pro career started in 1957, which was really at the height of, of mob control. So being in Chicago, you know, he's under control of the outfit, the Chicago mob and Tony Accardo. And also, Bernie, uh, Bernie, Bernie Carbo played for the Boston Red Sox. Excuse me. Frankie Carbo and Blinky Palermo. And they 
they matched him on the way up, and he beat some really good fighters in the way up. Uh, Doug Jones, he beat Eddie Machen, um, uh, Cleveland Williams, who, who stopped him the first time they fought. And he also beat, when he held the WBA title, George Chevallo, although that's a controversial fight, especially in Toronto, because Chevallo was said to be ahead by many people watching the fight. And when the fight ended, uh, Terrell's hand was raised. Terrell had Bernie Glickman in his quarter, who was a convicted killer for the Chicago outfit. And after the fight, uh, many of the American writers wrote, perhaps a better question than who really won the fight is, how did a convicted murderer for the Chicago Mafia, how did he get a visa to enter Canada and work in Ernie Terrell's corner? And they said, it's not a secret that Ernie Terrell is a mob fighter. Uh, maybe the Canadian government doesn't recognize the mafia, or maybe they don't care. So when uh, Ali was supposed to fight Terrell originally in Toronto, March 29th, 1966, Terrell said he wouldn't come up here because he wouldn't, didn't want to come back to a communist country. Canada's not a communist country. Unfortunately, we still need Americans who believe that, but not true. So it's just a silly notion. Anyways, he didn't want to come back up because Bernie Glickman wasn't allowed back into the country. And before the Chevalier fight, Glickman had said to the referee, Sammy Lovespring, the judges, and to Irv Ungerman, George Chevalier's manager, that if my guy, if your guy wins, uh, you end up in Lake Ontario. And that wasn't an idle threat. This is the history of the mob throughout boxing going back 120 years. If they say they're going to do something to you, 99 times out of 100, they will kill you. So the judges, you know, they knew George won, but they wanted to go home and see their families that night. And that's how a lot of Terrell's fights turned out. It didn't work. That tactic didn't work with Ali because Ali was the first unaligned, meaning non-mob controlled fighter, heavyweight champion in over 30 years. And, you know, the Nation of Islam had 80,000 members. The mob didn't have 80,000 members. So when it came to pure muscle, it just wasn't going to go down that way. The mob was going to, or the, the Nation of Islam was going to prevail. So Ali, as we know, was, was uh, it's an emotional thing for me. He was a controversial figure. People don't realize today I was alive then, how hated he was, because he stood up against the war in Vietnam. But he did more than stand up against the war. He said 99% of the shock troops, the cannon fodder, the front troops, are black. 99% or more of the draft boards are overwhelmingly Southern. So they're drafting blacks way out of proportion to their numbers in actual society. And Ali, all Ali, Ali never said, I won't go to Vietnam. He said, if you can sh show me one black person, male or female, who voted in my home state of Kentucky in the 1964 election, federal election, and is still alive, I will gladly go to Vietnam. And the government couldn't do it. The state government couldn't do it, and the federal government couldn't do it, because no one had done it. They wouldn't be allowed to vote. They would have been shot and killed right there on the doorsteps. And so Ali, at that point, became a marked man and that was one of the reasons why the wba took away his title in 65 although that was just before this whole mess with vietnam came about and so terrell's fighting but he's making no money no one's showing up terrell is a boring fighter it's hard to find a fighter today that would remind you of terrell i guess maybe 
Uh, if you watched the fights last night, Rancis Bartholomew, uh, who, who, who really his main physical gift is he's able to hold. And that's, Terrell is known as the octopus. All he did was get hit a guy, hold him, kept holding. And if you watched the fight with Ali, he hit him hundreds of times in the back of the head. Terrell accused Ali of fouling him, of putting him in a headlock and rubbing his eyes against the ropes. Didn't happen. Terrell was the preeminent dirty fighter of the 1960s. When he fought Chevallo, he's trying to thumb him in the eye. You can see this. You can count a couple hundred fouls that he committed against Chevallo and against Ali, hitting him in the back of the head. He'd been warned for it, but he's hitting him all the time. When the referee breaks him up and Ali turns his back to him to walk away, he punches him in the back of the head. He's hitting Ali low. He's elbowing him. He's stepping on his feet. And Ali doesn't retaliate. All Ali does is just beat the hell out of him. This fight is known as, as uh, what's my name? That's the name of the fight. What's my name? Ali had changed his name to Muhammad Ali from Cassius Clay. He incorrectly said that Cassius Clay uh, was, a, was a slave owner. The original Cassius Clay, the white man in Kentucky that he's referring to, was an abolitionist. He wasn't a slave owner. He had hundreds of blacks working on his plantation. He paid them. And then when the Southern Army would come to his plantation, to get slave labor, he actually literally fought them with guns and cannons and that. So he was not a slaveholder. He was not, uh, he didn't believe in slavery. He was a fervent abolitionist. But this was Ali's narrative. And Ali was right in the sense that, you know, he's fighting for civil rights. Ali was came at an interesting point in history because this fight, which took place February 6, 1967, the next year, uh, there's a great book by Mark Kurlansky called uh, The Most Important Year in 1968, it's called. And they say it's the most turbulent year in the history of the planet. And this is just right on the precipice of that. So, you know, Ali's saying, I've got no quarrel with Viet Cong. They never called me the N-word. I'm not going to travel thousands of miles to kill these dark Asiatic people. Never called me the N-word. Never prevented my grandmother from drinking from a white water fountain. Never stopped me from trying to vote. Never threatened me. Never called me the N-word when I was walking on the street. So Ali was the head of not only the anti-war movement, he was the head of the youth movement and the head of the civil rights movement, in a sense. He had all these three movements coalescing within him. And he was, you know, a, a very good speaker. So the fight with Terrell, they wanted to hold it originally in Toronto. Then they tried Chicago. And and actually, this Toronto came after. So this is Bob Arum's first fight was the Ali uh, Chevallo fight. That was actually the second fight that he ever promoted, but the first international fight. So Ali's trying to get Terrell to fight him in Chicago. They're trying to do it there. And Ali has to appear before the Chicago Boxing Commission, all white, brush-cut men who are very right-wing, very pro-Republican, very anti-black, and although although the mayor of the city wasn't, Mayor Richard Daly, but he was very pro-Kennedy. But at this time, 1967, they dressed him as Cassius Clay. And you can go on YouTube and see the film. He said, my name's Muhammad Ali, Mr. Clay, Mr. Ali, Mr. Clay. And Ali said, listen, my trainer, Angelo Dundee, is Italian. Dundee's a Scottish name. His real name is Morena. He took the name Dundee because his brother Chris did. So his mother wouldn't know that the family was into boxing. And you call him and refer to him as Angelo Dundee, although that's not really his name. I, my name 
is Muhammad Ali. Just a name. You don't have the decency to call me by my name. So uh, there was a point where Ali just got up and said, that's enough. You're sitting here, you're being bigoted and racist towards me. And, and they wanted Ali to apologize for his statements in Vietnam. And he wanted to apologize for his religion. He said, I've got, and he agreed initially to do it. But when he got there, he said, no, I'm a free American citizen. The Constitution says there's a separation of church and state. I have the right, this is a prize fighter talking. I have the right to practice any religion I want and to hold any political view I want. And that shouldn't at all in any way affect my ability to fight anyone I want. Well, do you believe that what you're doing is American? Yes. And he said, how do you know, how can you prove your, your patriotism? He said, I pay taxes. I vote. I don't break the law. I don't curse. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't carry weapons. And, but they didn't matter. It didn't matter to the Chicago Commission. They didn't allow out these fights. So this fight went everywhere. You know, it, it originally, it also went to Montreal. And Mayor Jean Drapeau said no. Um, Drapeau, Montreal, and the province of Quebec have always been more interested in uh, getting American dollars up there uh, than they have in, in um, getting along with the rest of Canada. So eventually, Terrell drops out, and it's Chevalo who fights. And then after that fight, and Chevalo just lost to Terrell, as I said here before, uh, Ali signs to fight in the eighth wonder of the world, the Houston Astrodome, against the six-foot-six-inch Ernie Terrell, who was the largest heavyweight of his time. Was Terrell a gifted fighter? No. He had a good jab and he had a, an all right right hand, but he wasn't Ali. He wasn't special. And you've probably seen this on YouTube, but before the fight, they're both being interviewed by Ara Cosell and they're dressed up, have their suits and ties. And this was another thing Ali had done. He said this to me too once. I, I said to him, I went to the Hall of Fame and I had a suit and tie on. Boxing Hall of Fame. He said, well, you should. And it was brutally hot there. But he said after, you know, you have to present yourself professionally. He said, I don't like when I see athletes, you know, eating on camera or chewing gum. He got that from Angelo Dundee or dress like bums. If you look like a bum and act like a bum, you're going to be treated like a bum. And Ali acted like the king of the world, which he was. So they, they are being interviewed by Howard Cosell before the fight. And it gets acrimonious. Ali's starting to get genuinely angry because uh, Ernie Trail says, I, I'm going to beat Clay and Clay. And Ali says, why do you keep calling it Cassius Clay? Because that's the name uh, your mother gave you. So what? Your real name is Ernest. I don't call you Ernest. I call you Ernie. So what? I changed my name legally to Muhammad Ali. And you will address me as that right now or in the ring. And he said, well, Cassius, my name's not Cassius. He said, what's wrong with you? You know everyone calls me Muhammad Ali now. Even white people call me Muhammad Ali, and you don't have the decency to do it. And he just said, you know, he kept calling, well, that's the name you introduced yourself to me as, yes, seven years ago. But since then, I changed my name, and I've seen you, and I told you that, and he wouldn't do it. So he said, you know what? I'm going to punish you. I'm going to punish you the way I punished Floyd Patterson. You're nothing but an Uncle Tom N-word. Why would you call me an Uncle Tom? And Terrell was getting very upset because you're an Uncle Tom. You're controlled by white people. And he said, you're controlled by the mafia. Everyone knows you're controlled by the mafia. Now, Ali was the only one who could get away with that and live. 
because he had the muscle behind him with the foyer, the fruit of Islam. He said, you're an Uncle Tom, N-word. You can't fight. You came to me begging for the fight because no one's paying to see you. You don't have any money. You're broke. The mob's stealing your money. And you're begging to fight me because I'm the biggest draw and I'm the world champion. And you know it. And he kept calling him Clay. And finally, Muhammad slapped him in the face. And they tried to get at each other, but it was broken up. And Ali said, I'm going to punish you in the ring. And he did. He did punish him. Angelo Dundee told me he was upset. He kept saying, with this in the Patterson fight, he kept saying to him, just get rid of him. So when you see the fight, Ali won every round. The rounds weren't close. Ali won all 15 rounds by a wide margin. And when you look at it, you know, Terrell claimed he grabbed my head, as I said earlier, and rubbed it against the ropes. Didn't happen. From the first seconds of the first round, Ali comes out and he lands five, six, seven shots on Terrell's face. He's too quick. Ali's six, three and three quarters. Terrell's six, six. But an Angelo Dundee was fond of saying, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And Ali was motivated. He was angry because this man was personally disrespecting him and his religion. Now, not to make this a religious debate, but Ali looked at himself as a Muslim, not a black Muslim, a Muslim. A Muslim is a Muslim. They come in all colors, like every religion. And Ali, you know, not long after that, wanted to leave the nation of Islam, but knew it wasn't safe to do so. Eventually he did after Elijah Muhammad passed away. Now he lived the rest of his life as a Sufi Muslim. Sufis are very peaceful and moderate. And and not to say other ones aren't, but that's the way Ali looked at himself. But the insult that, that Ernie Terrell was heaping upon, these insults, which the white press was heaping upon him, Ali felt ganged up upon and supremely disrespected. And he said, I would expect that from the old white press and from older white people. I wouldn't expect it from a fellow black man who grew up in the South like I did and knew what it was like, except Ali grew up in the black middle class. Ali was different than most other black fighters and, and black people growing up in the South in that he had a roof over his head. He had indoor plumbing. You know, he shared a room with his brother. He had two loving parents at home. So, you know, Ali came from a different background, whereas Terrell was one of 10 siblings to a poor sharecropper who grew up, you know, poor and moved to Chicago and and to seek a better life. Terrell did his best during the fight. Terrell came at Ali and, and you know, people are booing Ali and they're cheering Terrell, but it was no contest. There wasn't a moment of any round that you can say that Ernie Terrell won. Ali closed his left eye early. Ali kept pounding him, outlanding him 10 to 1 on many occasions. He was too quick. Terrell would try to bear hug him or headlock him, and Ali would just spin off the ropes. Terrell was physically bigger but not stronger, and Ali just had too much skill. And you can't beat a guy who's that much more skilled than you, regardless of how strong you are. And that's what happened. And Terrell took a ferocious beating for all 15 rounds. Terrell, in his corner... They kept putting the ice pack on his left eye, and Ali started to close the right eye. But Ali's landing straight right hands from the first round to the 15th round, and it's not even close. It's not a remotely close fight. Trell did land some shots in Ali, but they had no effect. 
couple times their legs got tangled and Howard Cosell said, I believe Ali is hurt, Terrell hurt him. Didn't hurt him once. He, he, he landed very few punches. Most of the punches Terrell landed, I would say 80% are up or rabbit punches, low blows, elbows. And that's the kind of fighter Ernie Terrell was. Um, Terrell complained after the fight, but Terrell, that's what he always did when he lost. Ali never made excuses when he lost. And he, he except maybe after the first Frazier fight, but Terrell had no chance going in. He was an underdog. The fans knew who the real champion was. This fight was for the WBA, which Terrell held, which was worthless and still is. The WBC title, which Ali held and is worthless and still is. Uh, the, the Ring Magazine title and the New York State Athletic Commission boxing title, which is now, I guess, defunct or meaningless. And if you watched a fight last night and watched Waleska Rodin score a draw between Danny Garcia and uh, um, uh, Jose Benavides, you know the worth of uh, commission's belts. So in this fight, you know, everyone was hopeful that didn't like Ali, which was most of the country, that Ernie Terrell could somehow do this and and rise to the occasion and beat Ali. But Ali's skill level was way up here and Terrell's was way down there. And after that, it was just, it was a walkover. Ali entered the fight uh, with a record of 27 and 0 and Terrell entered the fight with a record of 39 and four. And as much as the Astronome and everyone else there was cheering for Terrell and booing Ali, Ali's footwork was sublime. His hand speed, his accuracy was sublime. You know, it may have been Ali at his best. I thought Cleveland Williams was Ali at his best, but this may have been his best fight because this wasn't remotely close. And after this fight, he fights Zora Foley, who he stops, I believe, in seven rounds, and then that's it. They, they steal his title. New York State Athletic Commission withdraws a recognition. What's upsetting is these commissions that withdraw recognition as sanctioning bodies are full of mobsters. They're full of convicted felons, murderers, pedophiles, bank robbers, uh, uh, car robbers. They're full of them, but they're passing judgment, you know, on someone who hasn't broken the law ever. So uh, they have a tournament when they, after they steal Ali's titles and Terrell enters the tournament, he thinks, well, I'm going to easily win, but he doesn't win. Thad Spencer beats him easily and Terrell's bitter about it. But by that time, the mob didn't care because Terrell wasn't making money. And why bother putting money in to him and trying to intimidate other fighters to lose to him when he no longer held any titles and had no hope of winning any other titles. Uh, Terrell's last fight, he lost to a, a fighter named Jeff Merritt, a knockout, early knockout. And uh, Jeff Merritt was known as Candy Slim. Uh, good fighter, more successful as a uh, as a petty thief and uh, um, drug user. But uh, he did beat Ernie Terrell. Ali, as you know, this was just his first act. Ali completely reimagined himself. He was exonerated by the Supreme Court as well he should be. He wasn't bitter. The, the thing that always surprises me most about Muhammad Ali when I met him was, or when I spoke to him was, he was never bitter. I can't get over that. All of us are bitter. If somebody owes you 50 bucks and they don't give it to you and they say, well, I'm gonna give it to you in a week. 
and six months go by, you're bitter. These people took hundreds of millions out of Ali's life. They caused him misery and grief. You know, the government went after him. No one, there were no famous white athletes drafted to go into Vietnam. Pete Rose wasn't drafted. Tom Seaver wasn't drafted. You know, no one from the NFL was drafted. No one from Major League Baseball. No other boxers were drafted. No basketball players. They went after Ali because Ali was a threat. This was a Democratic government headed by Lyndon Johnson that did this. So Ali, as he said, didn't, did not burn his draft card. He did not flee to Canada or Europe. He stayed here, stayed in North America, in the United States, fought it legally, and won. And so they gave him back his freedom. They couldn't give him back his title. And as we know, Ali has to come back. He wins all these fights. He only had two fights before he fought Frazier after being off for four years. Angelo wanted them to have three more, but as Ali said, I was destitute. I had no money and I had to pay lawyers. So he has to fight Frazier for two and a half million. He loses. And then they, you know, they fight again three years later. He wins, loses to Norton. Norton breaks his jaw. Ali hadn't trained for that, comes back, beats Norton again, and then wins the title second time against George Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle in Zaire and one of the greatest upsets of all time. Um, people ask me if Ali and Terrell ever became friends after. No. No, they didn't. Uh, Ali made peace with Floyd Patterson because in Vegas, Ali's manager, Gene Kilroy, was there in, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And, and when Ali walked into the restaurant where they were, Patterson said, hey, Cassius. And Gene Kilroy said, come on, Floyd. You guys are both retired. It's over. Give the man his due. Call him Muhammad. And Patterson apologized, and Ali hugged him, and and... Patterson called him Muhammad Ali, um, but you know, Terrell never did that. Terrell refused to do that. And uh, when I met Terrell at the Boxing Hall of Fame, he wasn't—he wasn't not nice. But you know, when he said, "Where are you from?" I said, "Toronto, Canada." Oh, so you like Chevalo? You're probably one of those people that think Chevalo beat me. And I said, "I just came to say hi." That was all. So. He didn't end up with much money. Uh, his sister, by the way, was Jean Terrell, one of the lead singers of the Supremes. Um, uh, it was an exciting fight. If you get a chance, watch the fight. I'm not finishing quite yet. Watch the fight, uh, 1967. I watched it earlier in the week. I really, I'm interested to know if people watching out there, if, if you can find a round where you thought Terrell won. Terrell did have some good points in some uh, rounds. He did lean out with his left hand and tag Ali a couple of times, and he hit Ali some good right hands. But Ali was so quick, he just Ali would come in, you know, rat a tat tat, and then get out of the way. And Terrell was really at a loss of how to catch him. Terrell made the mistake that all guys made against Ali, which was following him around. And if you followed Ali around, especially in a straight line, you had no chance. You just use your face for a speed bag, and and. He tried cutting the ring off on Ali, and, you know, Terrell's a much bigger man, and Ali would just hug him when he got close and then spin out, which was one of the reasons, you know, Terrell was getting frustrated and hitting him with rabbit punches and low blows and forearms and elbows. Um, after the fight, he said, I, you know, he said, I don't hate Ernie Terrell, and I don't believe he did. He just said, I didn't appreciate the lack of respect. I'd never not respected him 
before the fight. I was always kind and generous to him, and how he was with all his opponents, except for Frazier. But, but, Terrell didn't extend him the same courtesy. And, and they said in the newspapers after, it was the cruelest performance of Muhammad Ali's career, because he really, at times, had Terrell out. And he could have taken him out, people believe and didn't let him stay to punish him now only ali knows that and only terrell knows that so ali said after no i didn't th think i could take him out i didn't think i had him hurt enough at any point where i could take him out you don't know i remember watching george Chevalo fight doug jones and because irv ungerman said that i don't think you can beat jones Chevalo gave jones the beating of his life and i thought there were times during the fight where Chevalo could have taken jones out but didn't wanted to punish him more to prove to his own manager that I'm the better man. I don't know if that's true, and, and I'm certain George wouldn't agree, but that's the way boxing is sometimes. It's the hurt business. It's a cruel sport. Um, as Ali said after, I didn't foul him. I've never fouled an opponent. The only foul I ever saw Ali commit was pushing uh, Foreman's head down and pushing Frazier's down. That's not really a foul, although you're not allowed to do that. But it's not like a thumb or an elbow or a headbutt or a low blow or forearm, you know, or palming a guy with your glove. That's completely different. Uh, I enjoyed watching the fight because Ali was just so supreme. And when you watch him beat Terrell, he's in control of every round. And you can only wonder, it brings tears to my eyes, you can only wonder how much better he would have gotten if he hadn't been thieved and robbed of recognition as the world heavyweight champion as ali said and everyone in boxing knows you can only lose the title in the ring you can't lose it from some sanctioning body that's ridiculous and that's one of the things that annoys me today is they say now well you know in boxing we now have for the first time four undisputed world champions three or four but you know it's not going to last because you know those champions are one of those sanctioning bodies is going to steal one of those belts and say, we don't recognize this guy's champion, and we're going to have other fights. It's all about the money. It's about greed and control. And the boxing the, the boxing firmament, the people that control boxing, the boxing community is the word I'm looking for, uh, was basically controlled by criminals. It's always been controlled by criminals for over 300 years. And they didn't like someone like Ali coming on saying, no, I'm not running it that way. I don't have to do what you want me to do. I'm going to keep all of my money and I'm free to be who I want to be under the law. And you're not, you don't have the right to tell me what religion I can worship, what name I can use and, and what I can do. And so that was the story. That was the amazing story of, of Muhammad Ali. And of course his star shines brighter today than it ever did. And June 3rd, 2022 was the sixth anniversary of his passing, which I still haven't gotten around to. Um, when I say gotten around to, I still haven't emotionally dealt with it because it's too upsetting to be. Ernie Terrell today isn't really remembered unless you're a hardcore fight fan, right? And if you're from Chicago, you'd remember him, or if you're a boxing historian like me. But really, he's just a guy looked upon as another guy Ali fought and dominated. So from when Ali beat Listen the first time to when he beat Zora Foley and after, you know, he was the most dominant fighter that ever lived. 
in that time period. And in fact, when he came back, he wasn't the same as before. He'd lost a step. As the great writer Bud Schoberg said, he, he wasn't superhuman anymore. He wasn't Superman. Now he was just merely brilliant, but he wasn't, you know, super Superman. And you see this in sports. From 55 to 60, Sandy Koufax was an average pitcher. From 60 to 66, he's the greatest pitcher that ever lived. So Ali had the same thing, but Ali, very few fighters can take almost four years off and come back. So to come back and win the title again twice is incredible. Um, even more incredible, George Foreman took 10 years off and came back and won the title again. And Joe Lewis took four years off during the war, but he was not the same fighter when he came back. Ali was smarter than any other fighter that ever lived, and he was able to come back and use the other skills that he had and experience to destroy everyone he fought after until the end of his career when he shouldn't have fought. Trell ended up becoming a footnote in boxing. Um, he, he was a singer. He had a band called The Champions. And Trell uh, lived... He was born uh, April 4th, 1939. He was three years older than Ali, and he died December 16th, 214, at the age of 75. His cause of death was dementia, and as we all know, Muhammad Ali died uh, June 3rd, uh, 216, from, from complications of uh, Parkinson's disease. Although getting hit in the head a lot certainly didn't help, but it was said the cause of death well, the final cause was cardiac arrest, but brought on by, by Parkinson's disease. So these are two, um, well, I can't say two really good fighters. One legend, a social legend, Ali, whose spirit and greatness permeates the entire world today. And when people say, you know, Michael Jordan's the greatest athlete of all time, not true. Or this person, Floyd Mayweather, you know, or, or, or Bobby Bonds, it just, Barry Bonds, excuse me, it's not possible. Sports, Sports Illustrated voted Ali the athlete of the century. So that all of these other publications, ESPN did too. No one had the, the penetration that Ali had on every city and every planet and every corner, not every planet, every corner, all the continents of the world. As Ali said, I can walk into any house anywhere on earth. Iceland, Israel, um, uh, Iraq, uh, the Congo, Greenland, uh, the Yukon, anywhere, Mexico, El Salvador, and they would invite me in for dinner. And that's the truth. Not only the greatest athlete of all time, but the, the, the most beloved athlete of all time. And that was the story of that particular fight. And as I said, Ernie Terrell, you know, was doing all right before in terms of victories. He was making no money. He begged Ali for the fight, and Ali finally relented. And then after Ali had agreed to help him, when Terrell, you know, starts calling him by the name Clay, the rage in Ali's eyes, you can see how Purcell starting to get concerned. You know, his attitude is, boy, he should not have done that. And uh, Ali let him have it there, and he just let him have it in the ring. That Ali that beat Ernie Terrell, I think, beats any heavyweight that ever lived. I think the only other heavyweight that would have given him a fight would have been Joe Lewis. Because Ali fought guys that were taller than him and didn't make a difference, and guys that were his size or smaller didn't make a difference. But Joe Lewis was so supremely skilled and so brilliant 
that he had to have given Ali a good fight if, in fact, they ever had, you know, in, in your fantasy fights. Of course, this is one of the reasons why they had a... Uh, Ali loved Joe Lewis. Lewis and Sugar Ray Robinson were his heroes. And one of the reasons he would get angry at Joe Lewis is Joe Lewis would never give Ali credit for being a brilliant fighter. And someone as great as Joe Lewis had to know, had to know how truly brilliant Ali was. But Ali was the reason why the money went up in all professional sports. Baseball players today, we hear about trades, you know, for Shohei Atani or Juan Soto or guys signing for three or 400 million in baseball and basketball. That's all Ali. Ali was the reason people started putting huge money into it. Ali was the one who said, you know, if an athlete is colorful and can talk and can promote himself, he can make himself some good money. And he learned that from Gorgeous George. And as I said earlier, Ali and Terrell never really patched over what happened. And um, I think if they had ever crossed paths when they were older, I don't think Ali would have obviously would have done anything. He, he was a man not to be bitter, let bygones be bygones. But you have to remember, this is during the 60s and when racial tensions and political tensions and social tensions were very high and the United States was a, a constant cauldron of change. And Ali was very sensitive about his stance in the world and where he belonged and that what he was doing is right. And so to have another fighter, especially a fellow black fighter, who he was helping out, who wasn't making any money, disrespect him on camera and disrespect him in interviews, that was just too much for him. Ali just could not work that. And, and in the ring, for 15 straight rounds, he gave Ernie Terrell the worst beating, one of the worst beatings that I've ever seen a fighter take. Why do I say that? Because if you go into the ring and do what Joe Lewis did to Matt Schmeling in the second fight, it's more merciful. If Ali had knocked him out in a couple rounds, it would have been more merciful. Ali didn't want to. He wanted to punish him for the full 15 rounds. Ali could have gone 50 rounds that night. He wanted to show Terrell that he was the best fighter in the world and that Terrell wasn't anything and that he was going to pay a price for disrespecting him as a man and disrespecting his religion. And boy, did Muhammad Ali certainly do it that night. I want to thank you for watching. I also want to urge you to go on YouTube and watch the Muhammad Ali Ernie Terrell fight. It was a, a wonderful fight to watch. It's Ali at his best. I defy anyone to watch it and find a fighter in heavyweight history who could beat him. No one. People today say uh, uh, Tyson Fury is a scientific fighter and Tyson Fury is this and he's great and he's a throwback. He's nothing compared to Muhammad Ali. Doesn't have the balance, doesn't have the ring skill, doesn't throw straight shots. Ali was the best that ever walked the face of the earth. Period. End of sentence. Thank you very much for watching. I'm Lou Eisen, and this has been another episode of Ring Talk.